1 Samuel chapter 17 tonight. 1 Samuel 17. As we dive back into our series, A Tale of Three Rulers, please give me just a second. Let me get hooked up here and uh, wired in, ready to go. Uh, but we've been in our series for several months now on uh, 1 Samuel, A Tale of Three Rulers. We've dealt specifically with uh, Samuel and his life, early life development. And uh, now he's, even though he's still on the scene, he's kind of in the background. Uh, Saul is the king, and we've talked about Saul's life, where he came from. And tonight we're going to look back at the Valley of Elah. Remember when we left the battle last week, uh, David was bringing supplies to his brothers. He was uh, on a collision course with Goliath, had no idea uh, what was coming. Uh, And when he got there, had no idea what to expect. All he knew was he was just carrying supplies. That's all he knew. Uh, but we didn't know, and, or excuse me, he didn't know that this battle that he was getting ready to be in would define the rest of his life. Uh, it would define him. Uh, he didn't get to the throne. David uh, was king, made king when he was 30 years old. He's a teenager here. So think about the fact that this would be kind of who he would be for the next 10 to 15 years. This would be what people would talk about, David. Uh, Why is he eligible? Why is he qualified to be our king, to be our next leader? And people would bring up Goliath. And uh, this battle is going to follow him for the rest of his life. And it would remind the people that David was used by God. But David just thought that he was just bringing the supplies. And it's a reminder for us that we may not know the magnitude of the small menial tasks the carrying the cheese. We might not realize the magnitude of those things, being faithful to our Father who sends us on that errand, but small moments of faithful behavior have major impact later in our lives. Small moments of faithful behavior have major impact, not just on our lives and not just as we grow and develop into what He wants us to be, but on the battles that we will face in our life. Uh, small things that we do day to day that might seem small and insignificant to us have major impact. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 23 and uh, read a few verses here for context. It says, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. Now, first time David's seen Goliath, first time he's heard Goliath, first time he's been exposed to Goliath. Verse 24, the Bible says, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, when they saw the man, uh, they fled from him and were sore afraid. Verse 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Now we'll stop right there just because we know what's coming next. When we look at, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write down, number one, the discovery. The discovery. In verse number 23, it's almost like uh, he shows up just in the nick of time. Uh, Just in the nick of time. Not, Not coincidental, but we understand providentially. He's right where he's supposed to be at the moment he was supposed to be there. And another great point for us to know, God puts us in the exact place he wants us to be in the exact moment he wants us to be there. The exact place and the exact moment. How often have we complained about where we are or who we're with or where we're going, but God has us exactly where he wants us to be for this moment. David could have complained on the battlefield. 
He could have complained while he was uh, traveling. He could have complained, you know, I don't know why I have to be the one to take these supplies. And, and I don't know why Dad had to ask me. I mean, I've got other brothers and uh, I've got a job. And doesn't Dad understand? I don't know why I have to still do these small things because I'm going to be the next king. And, uh, shouldn't my older brothers have to do this because they're closer to the battlefield because of age and importance than I am? Uh, why doesn't Dad ask somebody else? But Jesse asked David. See, there are all kinds of excuses that David could have used, but Jesse chose him. Could God send someone else to the battlefield on your behalf? Could God send someone else to fight your battles? Could God have put someone else at your workplace? Could God have put someone else in your neighborhood to live in your house? Could God have given your kids to somebody else? Well, we know the obvious answer to that. Yes, he could have. But he chose you. And he chose me. Could God have given your battle to someone else? Oh, yeah, he could have. But when we realize that God knows exactly where we are and has placed us exactly where we are, all because of his perfect will and perfect timing, we have to stop complaining. We have to stop complaining and just be faithful where he's put us, who we're with, what we're doing in the season of life that we're in right now until God opens the next door. Remember Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. Not a lazy man, a faithful man. And it says, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Luke 16, 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now, you know what we show in our lives today? You know what we show most of the time? That we're not worthy to be trusted with the big things because we can't be trusted with the little things. We can't be trusted. We say, God, give me more money. Give me more responsibility. Give me more of whatever. And God says, I can't trust you to be faithful with the little bit that you already got. See, we're proving whether or not we would be faithful. I've heard people you know, jokingly say, well, Pastor, man, when I win the lottery, I'm going to tithe and I'm going to write a big check to the church. But here's the thing. If you're not tithing with the little bit that you have right now, why would God give you more? If we're not faithful with what he has already given us, then why would we expect him to dump more on us? Would we be faithful? Goliath had been coming out for 40 days, four zero days, day by day, saying the same thing. And don't you think they were starting to realize that nothing's going to happen? 40 days. Think about the patience of the ungodly toward God's people. Think about the patience of the ungodly, because you think about you know seven, eight, nine, ten days. Don't you think there was some conversations in the Philistine uh, tents? I'll bet they're never going to come out here. But now we're at forty days. You think that God had anything to do with that? You think that God had anything to do with their patience level during that season, during those forty days? Uh, you you think that maybe God somehow would have kept them doing the same thing until David showed up? Why does your boss at your job put up with you? Why does your spouse not leave you? Why are you the person that people are drawn to? 
Do you think that God might have something to do with that? Not just the fact that they could have marched over any time they wanted. Remember, they had the biggest guy. They had the biggest giant. Even though they had a giant in Saul, they had the biggest, baddest army, the Philistines. Remember, God had already forsaken Saul, so this was kind of a no-brainer. We know who the big army is and who the little peons are. We know this, but God said no. You know, it shows, it doesn't just show his involvement in the enemy, it shows his involvement in protecting his people. Not just, and they go hand in hand, but it shows that God is protecting both sides. And while you and I are trying to be faithful, God is protecting us from the enemy. And think about Job chapter 1 and verse 8. We know the story of Job. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Remember that Satan had to have permission to touch Job. So he was only allowed to interfere in Job's life to the point that God said so. So in our lives today, we can complain all we want to. Man, I just don't, I don't have the title or the seniority or the paycheck or whatever of other people. Just remember that there are some things that you cannot put a price tag on. And the protection of God is one of those things. See, God is protecting us from the touch of Satan. But when was the last time that we thanked God for that? When was the last time that we thanked Him for protecting us? See, we see, number one, the discovery that's mentioned. But number two, we see the desperation that's mentioned. Look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled, uh, saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Everything had been the same for 40 days. Everything. The men were still afraid. David's presence on the battlefield changed nothing. He wasn't the giant killer yet. He was just a brother. Their champion had come out. The Israelites' champion was still in his tent in fear. So why would they be brave? Why would they be courageous if their leader wasn't going to be? And they began to tell David all of these things in verse 25. And he says, surely to defy Israel. And he starts listing off all of the things that Saul had promised. That he was going to give the man who was brave enough to defeat Goliath. Look at the list. He said, the man who killeth him, verse 25, the king will enrich him with great riches. He's going to be wealthy beyond compare. And will give him his daughter. Saul makes it personal here. It says, I'm going to give whoever defeats Goliath is worthy of a bride. So I'm going to give him wealth beyond compare. I'm going to give him a bride of my own family, which would essentially make this son of the king. It would put whoever defeated Goliath into the king's family. So this is not just wealth beyond compare. This is connection to wealth beyond compare. And then it says, and make his father's house free in Israel. No taxes. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, No taxes. No taxes on this family. And and nobody, with all of these promises, all of these guarantees, no one was foolish enough to volunteer. But Saul sweetened the pot, sweetened the pot, knowing this is a suicide mission. Nobody's going to volunteer. So I can throw the world at this guy and nobody is going to sign up. Why? They were focused on what was ahead of them rather than who was above them. 
They were focused. They weren't focused on who was above them. They were focused on who was ahead of them. We mentioned this past Sunday. It's so easy in our lives to get focused on the things around us rather than the one who is over us. And we see the storm. We see all of the trouble and the trials and the hardships of life and all of our circumstances. And it's never going to get better. And when we live by fear, we talked last, or last time uh, in chapter 17. When I live in fear, a perpetual state of fear, I start talking in absolutes. Well, man, I'm afraid of that battle because I, I never pay my bills on time and I never have enough money and I, I never know what's going to happen next. And I ne- We start dealing in absolutes because we're making decisions out of fear. Uh, but remember, the difference came from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 8. Remember when the Lord spoke to Samuel, Samuel said, Eliab is the one, and he's got to be the king. And God spoke to Samuel and said, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. That was the thing. They hadn't heard about that statement, but there was one in the camp who had heard about that statement. There was one there who had heard about that statement, and that was David. David was not convinced. David heard all these men and heard the command of the Lord. And while everybody else is shaking in their boots, he asks a very simple question. They said, have you seen, have you seen, have you seen this guy, this this giant? And David said, have you heard that there's a God in heaven? Hey, hey, you might have seen this, but don't we realize that there's still God in heaven? Don't we realize that we still have a Savior? Chapter 17 and verse 46, as he's talking to Goliath right before the showdown, he said, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. The people may have said, I see the giant. But David said, I know who my God is. And we might see a giant in our lives, but do we know who our God is? Do we know the capacity, the ability of the God that we serve? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Not our power, but His power. And our giant might be big, but are we acting like He's bigger than our problem? That giant may seem insurmountable, uh, seem like he's undefeated and can't be beaten. But our God is greater. He's bigger. He's stronger. But are we living like that? Or are we living in fear? We see, number three, the disgust that's mentioned in verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Now we might think, This is the very first time that David speaks words that we have mentioned. We see that he speaks before this, but this is the first time we know what he says. And he asks a question almost to clarify, but as you go through the text, he's not clarifying. He's rebuking. He's not clarifying. He's not trying to, are you sure that that's what the king said? He's not trying to clarify what the men are saying. He's rhetorically disgusted. With what they're saying. He he cannot believe that they're afraid of this guy. And it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12 through 17. We hear about Lucifer and how who he was and what he did. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, 
talks about the fall of Satan. It says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the Lord. All these things that Satan said he was going to do. I will do. I will. I will. I will. And he ends that with a triumphant, I will be like the Most High. I am going to be the one who sits on the throne of heaven. And what did God say? Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. See, the one who was the most beautiful, one of the most powerful, uh, the angel of heaven, the one that everybody looked to, the one who led worship in heaven, that was the one who God said, no, no, no. Pride has filled your heart and he's brought down low, which we already know. The thing that we draw attention to is found in verse number 16. After he's brought down low, here's what we see. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee. Now, there is a picture here of a future event that's coming. Now, I love this. I love peering in the Old Testament and seeing the New Testament. Because there is a moment in time where the entire scope of humanity gets to see Satan fall. Think about his judgment. We all get to witness that. We all get to see this one who has deceived the nations. And we get to see him cower before the king of the universe. It's awesome. But here's the truth that we see in verse 16. We'll look on him and we'll consider and we'll ask a question. Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? We're going to look at Satan and say, that's what I was afraid of? He, he, that's, that's who the Bible talks about? Uh, the roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour? Uh, that prince, that serpent, that's what I was afraid of? Look at verse number 17. That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof. That opened not the house of his prisoners. We're going to look at him, see him, and be shocked. Not for ourselves, but in him. See, we see nowhere in Scripture that we're to fear Satan. We see that we're to fear the Lord. Not to fear Satan. Uh, we're, we're told to be sober-minded, to be alert, to be on guard when it comes to Satan. But we're not told to fear Satan. We see in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28... Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We're to fear the Lord, not fear Satan. And there is a day coming when we see Satan receive his final judgment, and we'll be in shock that we were afraid of him. And there was something within our heart that, oh, Satan, please stay away from me. But remember, John said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So just because we know that he's present, we know that he's on the prowl, doesn't mean that we have to be afraid. Because we have something stronger, greater within us. And we see, he asked the rhetorical question about the reward. Look at verse 26 again. He says, what shall be done to the man 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's pointing out the differences in the two armies. He's pointing out the difference between him and us. What's the difference? One is a pagan and the rest of them are supposed to be following the true God. Uh, the, the one who is shouting, who is rebuking, who is defying the armies of the living God, he's the one who's not on God's side. He's against God. He's pointing out that he's not making fun of them. He's making fun of our God. Why are we talking about reward? Why are we sitting over here? Who is supposed to go over there? Who's going to go over and take care of this guy? What he's doing is wrong. And David is the one pointing it out. And this is heaven's rebuke on the church today. Why are we so silent when it comes to the things of the world? Why do we sit around and do little to nothing while Satan is causing us to focus on all of these small things that grab our attention? Uh, who's going to win the election? And uh, What is the homosexual crowd going to do this week? And uh, What about this gender identity stuff and, and abortion and all these different issues that we are drawn to? But that's not the main issue. The main issue is we have a message that we're compelled and commanded to share with the world. And not get distracted by all of these subsidiary things that aren't going to change someone's eternal destination. They're not going to affect eternity when it comes to a soul of man. Well, man, you know, Pastor, we got to get them to believe what we believe first and then they'll hear the gospel. No, no, no. The gospel is what pierces through all of that other stuff. The gospel is what makes the difference. They need to hear about what he can do in their heart and life and then allow the Holy Spirit to transform them from the inside out. We don't have to convince them that they're wrong. We have to show them that there's a God in heaven who loves them and that they have a need that they can't meet on their own and that they have a Savior who died for them and will simply save them if they will call out to him for salvation. It's not our... It's not our job to convince them what the Bible says about abortion and homosexuality and gender stuff. and All of these different things, politics. That's not our job. Our job is to share the gospel. Simple, but profound. Our job is not to win an argument. Our job is to plant a seed. That's our focus. That is our calling. So why are we sitting around and heaven looks down at us and says, don't get focused on that stuff. Don't lose your attention. Don't lose focus. and stay, stay on the main thing and keep focused on the main thing. That is our purpose. It's to exalt the Savior and engage the sinner. It's to get other people to see their spiritual need and to speak the truth in love. Remember the God of the Philistines? Remember the last time we saw the God of the Philistines? The contrast between the two? David saying, hey, we have a God in heaven who loves us, who's alive and well. When was the last picture of the God of the Philistines that we see? 1 Samuel chapter 5. Remember Dagon? Remember the last time we see the God of the Philistines? Where is he? What's he doing? In chapter 5, verse 4, when they rose early in the morning, uh, morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. You can't tell me that that wasn't talked about. You can't tell me that people didn't know that story. That word hadn't traveled throughout Israel. And they knew about this. 
And they were following a stump, and the Israelites had a savior. Uh, the, the Philistines had a weak idol, and the Israelites had a strong father, strong savior who wanted to, to rescue them from this situation. And there will always be people who make decisions based on fear. Always. David was ticked. David was not happy in this moment, but he wasn't the only person. And we see that in verse number 28. Verse, uh, verse 28, number 4, the disapproval. The disapproval. Remember Jesse sent David to check on the brothers, the three brothers. Uh, Eli, Eliab and Abinadab and Shema, all three of them uh, there at the battle. And Hey, I want you to go and I want you to bring back a pledge. Bring back some kind of word that tells me that you've been there with some news. And all of a sudden, one of those brothers steps to the front of the crowd and he starts to speak. Now, you would think there would be a thank you for the cheese. Uh, there would be a thank you for the gifts. Uh, thank you for the food, for the bread. None of that. Now, all of a sudden, he speaks, verse 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Now, this is not, you would think Eliab, hey, man, hey, th David, thanks for coming. Let me go, let's come over here and talk for a second. Y'all give us just a minute, and we'll be right back. You would think that that's not what happened. Eliab felt now compelled to rebuke and chide David publicly. For what he had said. He rebukes him for his childish comments. Look at what he rebukes him for. In verse 28. Why camest thou down here? Why are you even here? David, why, why did you even come? And then he starts digging in. For with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? He didn't respect his position as the shepherd. Remember, David is just following orders. Just doing what his dad has asked him to do. Simple task, but a big task. Uh, he didn't respect his mission. He said, you've come to see the battle. I know the pride. I, you're just here that you could see the battle. You just want to see some blood, David. That's all. Why, the only reason that you're here. He talked about the fact he didn't respect his character. He said, I know thy pride. Have you ever heard the old analogy when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs? The one that you hit is the one that yelps. And when when David starts talking about, hey, who's going to go over there? Somebody's got to do something. The one that got hit was the one that is now chiding David. It's almost a rebuke on Eliab. Hey, Eliab, you're supposed to be the biggest baddest. Remember, Samuel's the one who pointed out you to be the next king. You're supposed to be the one leading the way. And Eliab took it personally. He said, I know thy pride, the naughtiness of thy heart. This is the epitome of sibling rivalry. But Eliab had a problem. Maybe he was still upset for being passed over. Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he didn't want David to be there in the first place to see Eliab and Abinadab and Shammah cowering in their tents. Maybe he wanted to still have, keep a brave face when he got back home. But no matter what happened in the story, remember we're not David. We like to think of, man, the world is coming against us and chiding us at times. Remember, we're still not David. We're the soldiers or we're Eliab. We're, we're either the soldiers or Eliab. We're either too afraid to step out in faith or we chide others when they choose to step out in faith. 
When someone else has enough courage and gumption and says, I'm going to do something for the Lord, we say, well, you know, that won't last. We'll see how long that lasts. We'll, we'll, hey, when, when you become a mature Christian, you'll settle down. We better hope not. We better hope that doesn't settle down. When someone is afraid, it shows a lack of faith. See, we hear people say, you know, I don't know why they always get recognized, or I don't know why they get used, or why they don't ask me, or I don't know why I get passed over, all these different things. Maybe it's because God knows that you and I, what you and I know, that we have a pride problem, that we have issues, that we will never admit that our spirit isn't right. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 it says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Uh, Pastor, I am so humble and I'm proud of it. That's not what we're talking about. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Randy Alcorn said, humility isn't pretending we're unworthy because it's spiritual. It's recognizing we're unworthy because it's true. Not recognizing, uh, pretending that we're unworthy because it's spiritual, but recognizing we're unworthy because it is true. Uh, Martin DeHaan said, humility is something we should constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. We should constantly pray for it, never thank God that we have. Jonathan Edwards, Puritan preacher, said, nothing sets a Christian so much out of the devil's reach than humility. Out of the devil's reach. Hey, stay humble. Stay humble. Remember where we were when Jesus found us. Hey, that ought to keep you humble. We are not were. We are nothing. We are nothing. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. For without me, he said in John 15, for without me, ye can do nothing. We have no functionality. We have no purpose Aside from him. None. There is nothing. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We're not good. Even our righteousness. Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So the best that we can offer to the Lord stinks. Remember 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Uh, excuse me, Philippians 2, 3, first. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. David speaking, Eliab chiding, criticizing. But then we see the response, lastly, tonight. Verse 29. He goes all this, Eliab goes off on a tangent. And here's David's response. I love this. Verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? What have I done now? Eliab, what is it now? You criticized me at home and now we're here and I just brought you some stuff and uh, just asking some simple questions, trying to get answers and you're fussing at me. What did I do this time? And he says, is there not a cause? Now we like to build up that statement, but David is really just saying, why shouldn't we do something? It, we have just cause. And, and as Israelites, Eliab, we have just cause to ask the simple question. Why isn't somebody going over there and killing him? Uh, why are we hearing about this? Why is this still going on? Why has no one gotten involved in this? 
And in this entire situation, David says, I just want clarity, Elias. I'm just trying to get a very simple answer. He goes on, verse 30, and he turned from him toward another, spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. They did not even bat an eye. They go right back to, well, you know, if, if somebody kills the man, he'll be, have wealth beyond measure, and he'll have Michal and uh, Saul's daughter. and all. He, They go right back. Not agreeing with David, still bound by fear. Still bound by fear. But something was happening here. And David, and this is where we close tonight, something was happening that David didn't realize and the people couldn't have realized. David is getting the people to think big picture, not small picture. He's not trying to get them to focus on the giant. He's trying to get them to focus on their God. Because when we focus on the giant, we always make poor choices. When we focus on the problem, we always make the wrong decision. But when we focus on our Heavenly Father, and we say, God, this battle looks bad, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how you're going to come through, and I don't know how you're going to answer, but I know that I can trust you. And I know that no matter what I face in this life, that you are going to see me through. I might not be able to ever get over what's going on in my life, but I know that I can get through what's going on in my life because you're by my side. I know that because he is faithful. Not he has been faithful, which is a true statement, but that is only a small piece of it. Not he will be faithful because we haven't seen that yet. He is faithful, past, present, future. Is, is always will be faithful. David was trying to get them to focus on God. Remember, they still ended up cowering. They still wouldn't go out there and fight. They still would not pony up. And he wanted them to know that this is way bigger than any of them. This has eternal ramifications. This is real God versus false God. That's the truth. That's what David was trying to get them to see Goliath was rebuking God, and they could not allow that to happen. They had to do something. And if they would stand up for the Lord, the Lord would stand up for them. Psalm 3, verse 1 through 8. We know some of the verses of this psalm. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah, I laid me down and slept. I awake, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. See, God is defending us in battles that we don't even know about. But is he worth defending? When someone speaks against him, is he worth defending? Here's the question. How will people know his value if he's not worth defending? You ever heard the statement, 
Oh, that's not a hill I'm worth, that's worth dying on. Is he that hill that's worth dying on? Hey, he died on a hill. And that hill's worth defending. And it comes to us. If we don't see value in defending him, how can we expect other people to see value in defending him? So we look back and we recap. See, God puts us where he wants us to be when he wants us to be there. We have to look up before we look out. Have to look up before we look out. That's what David looked up, saw his God and said, that guy's no match for our God. There will always be people who live in a state of fear. Always. We see that all around us. Today, and no matter what we do, how hard we try, some will never respect our efforts. David was faithful at home, faithful to his father, and Eliab didn't care. He focused on God in the battle, and Eliab didn't care. Still rebuked him. And at some point, we'll, we, we will be put in a position to defend our God. Does he need defending? Absolutely not. He's bigger than everything. But does he deserve to be defended? Shouldn't his people defend his name? Shouldn't his people be the people who exalt him? Because if we're not going to do it, church, who's going to? We're not going to expect the world to defend our God, to defend his name, to defend his honor. That falls to us. Will we exalt him? Will we lift him up to his rightful place and defend who he is and what he does? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promises, Lord, that we have, that we have access to. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see you in action in our lives. Lord, help us to not live in a state of fear. Lord, not be, make decisions based on fear. Help us to look up instead of looking out. And Lord, help us when those times come and people speak against our God and what He's done in our lives and who You are and Your character. Help us as Your people to not be ashamed, but to speak out. Lord, help us as Your people to speak for You and not be silent against you. Lord, I ask that you please give us boldness and strength to do what's right. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.